Hi, this is Jeff Gober, and we welcome you to this Disney at Play and Disney at Work podcast. Journey into Imagination has been one of the most visited, mentioned, and yeah, I even missed Epcot attractions since it opened 40 years ago this week. We look at what this entire corner of the park was really all about, and specifically what the attraction Journey into Imagination really was because the original attraction was significantly gutted and changed back in 1999 many guests today simply don't know what the ride is about other than this purple dragon called figment taking segments from two previous podcasts we bring you not only an overview of the entire pavilion but what the 14 minutes journey into imagination the ride was actually like We'll also hear from former Disney Imagineer Tom Morris, who was responsible for arranging the layout of the original attraction. I'll then add some important lessons learned from this attraction and its sponsor host, Kodak. Join us as we celebrate 40 years of Figment. By the way, this podcast is sponsored by Performance Journeys, which celebrates its 20th year as a training and development group bringing best in business ideas through keynotes, workshops, seminars, and benchmarking programs to organizations big and small. If you're seeking to improve your customer delivery or re-engage the morale of your workforce or improve the work leadership of your organization, we offer solutions you should check out. Because at Performance Journeys, it's as much about the journey as it is about the performance. When the entire attraction was open back in 1983, 40 years ago, it was a combination of the following. A playful set of fountains which formed its own playground. A journey into imagination ride which went from 1993 to 98, then became something called journey into imagination which played on the idea of the senses and was aligned with the themes of the Imagination Institute. That lasted till 2001 when, because of so many people protesting the absence of Figment, it became the same attraction focused on the senses, but with Figment, Journey into Imagination with Figment, which is what guests have seen from 2002 to the present. In addition, when guests got off the original ride, Journey into Imagination, they went and visited the Image Works, which went from 1982 to 1998, and then became Image Works The What If Labs, which has continued in some form or another. It's, it's gone downhill considerably over the last number of years. But the What If Labs, again, were tied to the Imagination Institute theme. At the same time, there was a 3D film. Magic Journeys was this, well, this very unusual film. It deserves its own podcast. It was followed by the infamous Captain EO and starring Michael Jackson. Then it became Honey, I Shrunk the Audience when there were issues with Michael Jackson. And then over time, uh, a number of things occurred to especially involved the Disney and Pixar Short Film Festival, which is what you see today. Additionally, because Kodak sponsored the pavilion, there was also a sponsor lounge, um, which 
um, is still exists today, although it does not act as a sponsored lounge. So the journey to Imagination Pavilion was many things. It was a pretty ambitious um, offering in and of itself. Our podcast includes clips from two um, previous podcasts, which is fortunate because as you've probably been able to tell, I've kind of lost my voice this week. Um, but you can go to disneyatplay.com and see the links here. The first podcast goes into detail about what Journey into Imagination the Ride was all about. And then the second one offers an interview with Tom Morris, who talked about his role in the development of the original attraction and how it was laid out. Without further ado, we'll kind of weave ourselves into the first um, podcast and then go um, and hear from Tom Morris. The attraction actually had three very succinct parts, even call them acts to them. And those individual sections frame actually how we imagine. Remember the original intent of Epcot was to educate and inspire. Well, this pavilion was an attempt to educate you on how imagination works. And what are those three parts that we talk about? Well, the first is what we refer to as flight into imagination. It's the place where ideas are gathered. The second is what is referred to in this attraction as Dreamport, where those ideas are stored until they can be recalled and utilized. And then the third, which is application, opportunities in the, uh, the performing arts, science, technology, and so forth. What we wanna to do today is we wanna showcase this attraction and look at those three parts a little more closely. You may want to follow along with us um, on disneyatwork.com and disneyatplay.com. We have a show notes page that kind of outlines the same thing, shows a lot of images and uh, even a video that we think uh, pretty well sums up the attraction. For many of us, uh, it, you may never have been on the attraction before. You may know it in its current form, but uh, you may not know the original. Even for those who love the original attraction, it's been years since we've had a chance to board one of those um, unique, uh, uniquely styled Omnimovers and go through the attraction. So let's, let's look at each of these three parts. The first is flight into imagination. You'll recall one little spark of inspiration as at the heart of all creation right at the start of everything that's new, one little spark lights up for you. The flight into imagination is where on our vehicles, we meet up with Dreamfinder, who is navigating what is referred to as the dream catcher. It's this steampunk looking vacuum that is going through and, and bringing in new ideas and, and housing them. He welcomes us as we join him. He sets the stage for what's happening and he introduces a figment of his imagination. This character is a royal purple dragon named Figment. These two individuals are the primary characters in this experience. Dreamfinder is professorial. He has the wisdom of using imagination and drawing on its powers. He's been described as somewhat of a, a Santa Claus type character. 
one who provides a space for others to dream, in this case, for Figment and for you. Figment offers a contrast. From the original Abrams book, Walt Disney's Epcot, we read, quote, Figment is a spontaneous creature, full of energy and childlike wonderment. He is an ever-receptive sponge, soaking up everything he sees around him. Having never been told by an adult that he's incapable of doing this or that, he thinks he can do anything, and he's not far from wrong. End of quote. Can I imagine too? Figment, Figment asks. Dreamfinder responds, of course, imagination belongs to everyone. Well, they both ride along in this segment, collecting ideas in the Dreamcatcher. Here they gather notes for melodies, letters for writing, costumes, rainbows for coloring, gyroscopes and magnetisms. Everything that can lead to new and imaginative works is gathered. Now, as we go through this, I want you to think about yourself. What are the key points that each of these sections are making? In this phase, we're saying essentially this. To be imaginative, it's essential to gather ideas. In fact, we should be intentional in gathering those ideas. We should look for new ideas from different places, seek out diverse ideas. Like Figment, we should be childlike in seeing the possibilities of new ideas. And like Dreamfinder, we should draw on our own wisdom in utilizing our imagination. Well, as we sail along there with Dreamfinder and Figment, a bell rings, indicating that the idea bag is full and it's time to unload the ideas in the dream port. That's our next section, the dream port. Guests move on with Dreamfinder and Figment and enter the dream port, which is probably the smaller segment of this entire attraction. The Dreamport storeroom is a vast, busy place. It kind of represents our brain. The dream catcher's bag is unloaded and sort of scrubbed in a boiler-style washing machine known as the Imaginometer. Supposedly, we are weighing our ideas as to their components. In this space, elements or ideas are thrown into different compartments for storage. Color is put into a pigment mixing machine. A diving bell is available for deep thoughts, and a box of childish delight can also be found. There are file cabinets which hold a range of different sound effects. Theatrical material is held in a big trunk equipped with applauding hands. A bank holds fog, i.e. a fog bank, and musical notes are tweeting while stuffed in an oversized birdcage. Know that the dream port is never far away when you use your imagination. All these ideas reside until your brain is ready to use them. The thought here is, do you hold on to good ideas that you gather? If so, how do you do it intentionally? How do you organize them? Remember that good ideas are only as good as your ability to recall them when you need them. From the dream point, we have an opportunity to move out and apply these ideas to several different realms. Let's go through each of them. The first is known as a work of art. 
And in each of these locales, these ideas are being translated, rearranged, and they merge as new ideas and thoughts. In a work of art, we find Dreamfinder holding a fiber optic brush. He lays out color onto a massive mural of nature with colors changing back and forth. And from there, you proceed to a white canvas. It's a room full of imagery, almost like an elaborate paper sculpture. Here, there is an opportunity to add color through prisms. At the center is a carousel of origami animals and Figment with a colorful apron applies paint from a pot of rainbows. In our next segment, we see the Dreamfinder is playing a massive organ with words that are coming out of it. All these words are leading to a tale of fright. It's a room full of mystery and darkness. Figment holds blocks which go back and forth with the words cat to bat. And the tone here is dark and mysterious. Books abound with titles like troll, dragons, and serpents. Figment tries to hold back one book, a massive book that's about monsters. In our next segment, we go to the performing arts. Here Figment is trying on different costumes backstage while Dreamfinder conducts a laser light show as if he were conducting an orchestra. That's a perfect transition to our next two segments which deal with science and technology. In the science and technology, we ask the question, and what about science, 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 science? <laughs> Here, if you remember, Dreamfinder turns a mechanized dial, uh, kind of a steampunk shaped thing to reveal crystal shapes plants germinating, pyros exploring, pyro exploding, and galaxies beyond. On the screen, Figment explores concepts of gravity, slow motion, and size. In our next segment, we see image technology. Well, that makes sense. It's actually a pavilion sponsored by Kodak. It only makes sense to have some portion dedicated to this. And in this final segment, Dreamfinder unlocks the hidden wonders through celluloid film. Figment is in several scenes with him portraying a, a tap dancer, a mountain climber, scientist, cowboy, and so forth. A digital photo is taken of the guests and is shown up in a follow-up screen. Guests are then invited to Imageworks to try their own hand. If there's a message to be found in this application segment, which is the largest of all the segments, it would be this. Applications for using your imagination can be found everywhere. Imagination can be figurative and literal. Imagination could be applied to the practical and impractical. Artistry and technology enhance each other. In fact, this is really where Disney achieves its greatest strides when they put hand in glove artistry and technology. Whether it is flight into imagination, whether it is the dream port, or whether it is application, all of these different segments have messages about imagination work. Having given an overview of what this attraction is all about, let's now move to a discussion which I had with Tom Morris, former Disney Imagineer, who was uh, pivotal in the development and design of how this attraction was laid out. Let's hear from him, not only in terms of the original attraction, but frankly, how it could be potentially improved upon. Without further ado, let's hear from Tom. 
that's fortuitous because uh, I don't know. I think there are so many people who have this love of all things Figment, and they love the old ride. I don't know that they always understood the ride because <laughs> right. there really were three acts to that. The right. First, you kind of showcased the idea of gathering ideas. Right. And then you took those ideas and you stored them in um, the dream port. And then you applied those ideas through a wide variety of things such as literature and media and the arts and so forth. Um, and, and so there's a creative process that kind of plays out right. in Journey to Imagination. Did you see that same process drive your experience as you built that attraction or uh, do you remember any stories that kind of said okay this is really kind of how this evolves and this is how we do it in imaginary how did how did that process kind of yeah, come for you i think it was similar um and i didn't know if that was a coincidence or not but i just remember the i was part of the original um creative meetings on it the brainstorming sessions and you know we had no idea what um, we were going to do. So um, we knew, I think we knew that we wanted a ride because all of the major pavilions had at least one uh, ride experience. And there was a notion that we wanted an area where people could create images, um, experiment with imagery and photography. And, um, and then also, I think the 3D movie was also kind of part of the early discussions. So it was really what was the ride going to be? Um, yeah. It, well, how, you know, how is it going to express imagination, especially when imagination can be very personal? You know, uh, my imagination versus your imagination versus Walt Paraguay's imagination versus Tony Baxter's imagination, etc. So um, I think you know, a little bit of the process that we were going through, which was gathering ideas, and that wasn't unique to Journey into Imagination, but for me, that was my first, you know, experience. Um, so I was kind of, there kind of was like a, you know. Well, now that you mentioned it, you, in another podcast, you talked about Marty Scalar being very good at bringing disparate ideas yeah. to the table. Right. And you mentioned um, Perroy um, being brought in at right. one point, which... I, I want to say I always think of him and that UPI or UP, UPA style right. of animation, right. that um, mid-century right. freeform. Right. So I guess that was probably an example of gathering ideas from different places. Uh, perhaps I think we had already by that time um, determined more or less what the um, what the attraction was going to be. And we wanted something that, um, you know, was very different for the art section because we knew there was going to be kind of a certain element of that steampunk kind of look. It didn't have yeah. that name back then, by the way. <laughs> we didn't know what to call it. <laughs> you kind of Jules Vernian uh, kind of look. And, um, you know, so there was, there was a little bit of old-fashionedness to it. We knew we needed, you know, something very modern and very up-to-date. And that would probably be in the science and maybe the entertainment area. And uh, kind of good old-fashioned Disney fantasy for the literature. And so that yeah. left the arts to be, you know, a little bit more freeform. 
and um, and so Walt Paraguay was a perfect fit for that. I think he had also done some concepts though for the. Um, now that I think of it, he had done some concepts for the uh, ride with the dream catching machine or the introduction. Okay. It, it, I can't remember at what point it shifted to a dream catching machine because it started off in an observatory. Um, oh initially. yeah, I've seen that image. Yeah, and that was probably back when Tony was actually doing the Discovery Bay concept version of that attraction. He was done. Yeah, he was already. That had already been kind of put on hold, and um, but I remember, you know, I remember the big telescope and the sense of it being in an observatory. And, and um, at first, I think it was Dreamfinder or a Professor Marvel kind of a character, and eventually Figment came along. But, but Walt had done some, Walt Paraguay had done some concepts for that, and I, I saw them Early a couple, on. two or three years ago when I was going through um, the art. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot that, you know, Walt had taken a pass at that too. And what we left from that were the kind of clouds that um, I ended up defining all of those clouds and kind of being his wrist in a way, uh, which I loved, um, to kind of, you know, delineate what those clouds would look like. At some point, and, you know, I might have been on vacation or something, because I remember I, it seemed like I had come back and suddenly there was a dream-catching machine. Um, so I think... I think I did take a vacation or something and for a couple of weeks. And the dream catcher machine really kind of drove the whole turntable. Yeah, yes. And so I ended up, um, Steve Kirk came up with the idea to use the dream catching machine and did a model, a spectacular, beautiful model for it. And it landed on my desk and uh, it was up to me to kind of draw that up and fit it in and work out all the geometry and you know, there's as much of a, it's as much as a timing challenge as yeah. it was a spatial challenge, an operational challenge. I mean, everything kind of came together, uh, and I learned real quick all about THRC and feet per second <laughs> and pitch. Theoretical is, hourly uh, ride capacity for those of you who haven't learned that and phrase yet. Feet per second and the distance center point between vehicle um, and the minimum speed of a vehicle like that could go and the maximum you could go in a loading area there were all these kind of you know parameters and so it, it quickly honed in what that uh, turntable needed to be in order to um, provide the capacity needed and the lines of sight needed to make it a credible scene so, yeah. it, didn't, so it didn't seem like you were watching a movie or you know ended uh, up being segmented yeah. So you've had your own incredible journey of imagination through your whole career. Coming back to this attraction, not so much what would you do different to the attraction, but how would you, how would you, what about imagination have you learned in that time frame that you would want to infuse into a redo if, well, if ever a redo was done for right. imagination? I think. I think if it wasn't clear in the first attraction, and I think it was, but maybe it could have been made more clear, um, was that it's not a binary thing, that you're either scientific and practical or you're artistic and freeform, that you mm. can be different combinations of those. They're not, they don't cancel one another out. Um, so 
um, and and you often kind of hear that in educational left brain, discussion. Right brain. Yeah, left brain, right brain, um, and they are complementary. But you can also have, you know, there are some people who are both. <laughs> well, uh, and you play that out perfectly because you came in, you know, you 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 have such an artistic side of you that's played out. But this job was really a very technical. Yeah figure out was, how to get this right I was doing an industrial engineer's job in a way yeah I was also doing a, a mechanical engineer's job too with and, your drafting yeah with the drafting and the turntable uh, and fitting that you know and and I did all the drawings for the dream catching machine that would typically be done by like ride engineering and uh, but because it was so crucial that everything fit you know there was a rear projection projection screen with rear projectors, you know, that were going to project special effects, uh, all sorts of things. That it really was like a jeweler's job to um, get everything to fit and work and be practical and be operational. So uh, it didn't take too long to figure out all the kind of the THRC side of things, the feet per second, but I was shocked how many people couldn't figure that out. Not in, in the department that I was in, it was like a uh, magic or alchemy or some kind of a thing that was like, but it's so or simple. Arrow, arrow will figure it out, you know. Yeah, right. You know? Or someone, you know, we weren't working with Arrow at the time, but maybe yeah. someone at Mapo or, you know, or whoever the magicians were that, you know, that, that and that's a, a kind of a common mistake that's still made today is that and on the front end of um, creating and of design that there's an assumption that it some impossible thing will be figured out later downstream. <laughs> you know, oh, we can only load four people every 10 minutes. Someone else will figure out, you know, how to fix that. And, you know, sometimes that doesn't get fixed. So, but that also came from being a ride operator, which I was for two and a half years at Disneyland and observing um, the attractions and observing how you couldn't um, override certain um, you know, certain intervals or certain facts. So an example on the submarines, there were three fleets um, that would be dispatched. And some guys would think that they were being heroic by speeding up through the whole attraction and shortchanging the experience, the show experience, thinking that they were going to increase the capacity. And of course, it, just doesn't, it doesn't work that work way out. because they just get to the um, unload area quicker but there's a line to get into the you know if you do that then you're just sitting there waiting for three minutes because it's um, really impossible for 38 people to unload and load on one of those submarines in less than three minutes so yeah. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> it's just impossible change. you have three you know you have even if one submarine did it you'd have to have all three submarines magically be able to unload and load that many people Quicker, way quicker than the average. So, but it always averaged out, you know. So, I, you know, that I just observed that. Like, okay, why is the guy ahead of me racing through here? Why is the guy behind me, you know, pushing me through there? Because I know exactly how long to go through there and maximize the show experience, and still come into the unload area and have to wait, you know, twenty seconds or thirty seconds. Yeah. yeah. I really appreciated. Tom taking the time to discuss Journey into Imagination. And if you check out our archives, there are other conversations we had about many projects uh, Tom worked um, at Imagination during his career. I wanna now transfer to the final segment of our 
tribute to Journey to Imagination because there's some really great uh, Disney at work lessons from this attraction and we wanted to share those with you. So let's go and uh, return to a previous podcast I did in which I had a better voice that wasn't so hoarse as I am this week. And I had the opportunity to talk about some really great insights that we can all take away from this thing called Journey into Imagination. Speaking of examples of imagination at work, let me share with you a couple of stories that tie into this pavilion originally and play out those three segments. Probably one of the best examples of application was the original attraction itself. After Tony Baxter built Big Thunder Mountain at Disneyland and later at Walt Disney World, he labored to develop other ideas for the space behind the roller coaster at Disneyland. This overall project was called Discovery Bay, and I remember seeing it showcased on, on the, I think it was called Showcase, on the corner of Main Street across from the Emporium. This image of a Hyperion blimp standing in a barn was so fascinating to me. I loved what the possibilities were with this, um, with this attraction which really was based on Disney's Island at the Top of the World. I don't know if you're familiar with that film. It's a Jules Verne novel that uh, is quite, uh, um, quite cool. Unfortunately, the film just wasn't too successful, and thus the attraction never did get developed. But it did come to life when... Uh, Tony Baxter later built Discoveryland in Disneyland Paris. And in fact, we show a picture of the Hyperion balloon in a more um, unique, um, futuristic style barn in Discoveryland at Disneyland Paris. Moreover, there was also another show for Discoveryland that uh, Tony had imagined. He saw the potential of a show using the Carousel of Progress Theater where a Professor Marvel, as he would title it, would do a musical showcase that included his cohort, a dragon. Uh, this one was actually green. This too did not get built, but at Disney, ideas never die. Imagineering is probably the world's most amazing dream port because eventually, he, even though he had stored these ideas in Imagineering's dream port, he was able to reapply them into what would become Journey to Imagination. If you're not familiar with the timetable here, as Epcot got built, Kodak was one of the last to get on board. And so it was really um, needful to move forward that pavilion as quickly as possible. It didn't open fully on time, it opened uh, later. But making that a reality required them drawing on ideas that they had already thought of. And those ideas came out of that original Discovery Bay. So you can see how new ideas that come up get stored only to be reapplied differently later. It's a great example of how imagination works. In another instance that shows the power of collecting ideas from wherever and whenever, Tony Baxter talks about watching Magnum P.I. on television. I don't know if you remember that kind of detective show way back in the... Uh, in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. On that show, Magnum, for whatever reason, had a goat, 
that was eating the butler's garden, and the butler's name was Higgins. Higgins uh, started complaining, telling um, that some, telling Magnum that uh, something was, you know, eating uh, vegetables out of his garden. Magnum told them, "Ah, it's just a figment of your imagination." With that, Higgins then held up a ruined plant and cried, "Figments don't eat grass." Watching that show one night gave a eureka moment to Tony Baxter, who realized that would be a great name for this little dragon that we're creating for Journey into Imagination. And so it was. Again, a spark of imagination can do amazing things. You know, I mentioned earlier that imagination was, uh, the whole pavilion was sponsored by Kodak. Most people don't remember um, that one of the final activities of that attraction was to have your picture taken digitally. And then immediately it was put up on a screen. Now, this was an amazing innovation. One that we like take for granted today as we do selfies. But in 1983, this was pretty amazing stuff. Now, as the sponsor of the attraction, Kodak had long been the center providing consumer cameras and film. And Kodak wanted to be the sponsor for Disney. Well, heaven knows, one, if you are not familiar, one out of every 20 photos printed on Kodak film was actually taken at a Disney theme park. And so Kodak wanted to become a sponsor. They wanted to become part of this. And certainly they saw the possibility of selling what? Film. And as you note, uh, and uh, in the early days of the parks, when you entered on the right side of every park you entered, what was there? A Kodak camera shop where they would sell you film or batteries or even rent cameras out to you. Well, film was important at Kodak. Obviously, it was their product that they made. And uh, they not only sold it to tourists and guests coming to Disney parks, they sold it to Disney and every other major motion picture because they created the film that would run, uh, you know, movies and so forth. But uh, maintaining the position of being the king of film became increasingly difficult in years to come. As technology created a digital world, the role of film became more and more obsolete. As such changes occurred, Kodak themselves had to think maybe outside the camera lens. Is Kodak about film or is it about something else? If you're only about film, you might not prosper long-term. Is Kodak about film or creating memories? You know the song, making memories, making memories. Taking pictures is making memories. That song by the Sherman Brothers was also another song used for the Journey into Imagination Pavilion. If making memories is what matters, then Kodak uh, could per perhaps stay more relevant to their ability to create memories. Uh, but if they lean back to being only about film, well, how do you prosper long-term? Competitor Polaroid struggled with the same premise. They banked on a picture that could be taken instantly on film. And so they didn't really go into the digital business. 
and they suffered enormously as a result of it. Many organizations suffer when they don't blend innovation and imagination together. So looking at all of this, what are the, what are the souvenirs for you? What are the things you can take home from this entire experience? Ask yourself, how are we gathering up ideas? Where are we going to get those ideas, to gather them? Are we getting enough ideas? Is there enough diversity in the ideas we are capturing? What element in us allows us to be childlike in seeing new possibilities? What aspect in us draws wisdom from experience in utilizing our imagination? Do we hold on to good ideas? If so, how do we do that intentionally? How do we recall good ideas when we need them? How do we apply imagination to all aspects of our life? Our job, our personal life, at home or abroad? What are the practical and impractical applications for being imaginative? And how can we combine art and technology to imagine greater possibilities? That's at the heart of journey into imagination. Now, I suppose I should give uh, an afterword to journey into imagination. Um, as the millennium came about, um, Disney sought out Kodak to see if they wanted to update their pavilion. Um, for those of us who think longingly of journey into imagination, uh, the reality of it was is it was there were some problems that needed to be addressed. The very innovative uh, use of Omnimover vehicles moving in, in a foursome pack uh, going through. I mean, if you imagine what it involves for you and I to get on board the Carousel of Progress and ride it. Imagine putting ride vehicles on a Carousel of Progress because that's where we met uh, Dreamfinder and Figment. Um, on their Dreamcatcher. This was technologically very, very difficult to achieve. And it always seemed to have problems. There always seemed to be moments where things were slowing down and not really moving in tempo. And I have to say that as you got further and further and further into the story, I found it a little bit lacking. I, I didn't care for all the puppetry moments of figment climbing a mountain or tap dancing. It just looked green, uh, screen cheap. Um, I, it, it, and, and the digital photo at the end, uh, that was cool initially, but digital photography became a real thing. So really Disney needed Kodak to put up some money to revamp Journey into Imagination. The problem is is that when Kodak put up that money, and it wasn't a lot of money, but when Kodak put up that money, uh, Disney went a whole different direction under the Eisner regime, um, partly because um, the original film, Magic Journeys, had been replaced by Captain EO, but when things weren't looking really good with the whole Michael Jackson and all the problems he was having, they moved into Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, which was a great film. And it created this thing called an Imagination Institute. And, and uh, it really was quite clever and quite creative. 
So the thought was, let's dump Dreamfinder and Figment and put in the Imagination Institute. Well, two problems with that. That uh, was a massive overhaul that they didn't have money or enough money to do. And secondly, it took it took out a beloved, beloved character. And so moving a couple of more years after uh, 9-11, Kodak didn't have money. Um, Disney went in and made the changes to Figment to uh, reintroduce some segments with Figment using a very, very small budget. Um, and that whole experience when you write it today is an exploration of the five senses, although you don't really experience taste and you really don't experience touch. So two out of the five don't show up and it lacks. It just simply lacks. Plus it's a shorter ride. It's a, There's so many things that went wrong. Now where the journey into imagination goes next, I don't know. But I could tell you this. If you're going to succeed with that attraction, you need to follow the blueprint that was shown in the original. You need to come up with new and great and clever ideas. You need to store those ideas and then you need to draw on them using the best of art and technology. That's the only way you're going to truly come up with a great creative uh, new experience. Well, that does it for this 40th anniversary salute to Journey into Imagination. I hope you can find creativity and imagination wherever you go and whatever you do. For more ideas about how to create great ideas for your own organization, make sure you check out our Patreon group, The Wayfinder Society, where we take you on a journey to new possibilities for your organization using ideas and stories and experiences from Disney. Check out the Wayfinder Society. And thank you for joining us in the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage. Always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon. <laughs>